Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to a new episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Jim Suhan and Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune from SoFi Stadium, Englewood, California, where the Vikings just pulled off the upset win. You know, we were discussing beforehand whether or not we expected this, whether or not we did or didn't, or we had mixed reviews. So I think, Jim, I should start with you and going with probably the prevailing thought was, oh, this, is, this has to fall apart at some point, right? I thought this is a bad matchup for them. I thought it was bad timing. Uh, 98 defensive snaps in Baltimore coming, you know, flying across the country to play what I thought was a good team with, that I thought matched up very well with their depleted defense. I thought the Chargers would score about 35 and run away with it, and I was wrong. Uh, and I think we can get into a lot of the reasons why I was wrong, but I, I really give Eric Kendricks a lot of credit. He made two plays in the first half that might have been you know, worth 10 points. Uh, the big sack on Herbert, uh, you know, which – not only prevents a big play, but also gets some, some yardage and some field position. And then, you know, the interception. The guy's covering Keenan Allen 30 yards downfield, and he makes a diving interception. That just doesn't happen. That's th- Those are – and, you know, those began a sequence of a lot of important plays. But I, I think if Kendricks doesn't have those big plays in the first half, I might have been right. They might have scored 35 points on this defense. Yeah, I mean, the, the interception – on Keenan Allen athletically and just in terms of being able to do it, having the wherewithal to do it as a linebacker, all of the things that you need to make that play, route recognition. And he even talked about his process on that play was sort of, well, I can cover this, but I can also stay in my zone and cover the other route that was kind of underneath me. So he took a little bit of a chance, but still being mindful of his responsibilities and made a heck of a play to make that grab. So everything that you need as a linebacker to do that, I think is in fairly short supply around the NFL. If you're making your case for Eric Kendricks being deserving of whatever accolades you want to put him out there for, that play is a fairly good uh, uh, exhibit to point to. Seeing him make these kind of plays against the Chargers in Los Angeles or yeah. – that soccer stadium, I guess it would have been two years ago in 2019 where they had seven takeaways and Kendricks uh, forced two fumbles and was officially credited for one of them. Um, but that, this guy just keeps making these kinds of plays and to do it at UCLA or in the place where he went to college at Los Angeles, UCLA, kids from Fresno. I mean, he's he's making these kinds of plays um, and really what's been a homecoming for him. So it was cool to see that. And I think that was a big part of why they won because they were down five defensive starters. That's part of why Jim and I at least thought this was going to be a blowout. I mean, Ben, what were your expectations? I guess, was this a surprising win in your perspective? Well, I picked the Chargers to win by two or three, I I think. And I talked about this a little bit on uh, KFAN on Friday with Dan Barrero that there was part of me that thought the Vikings would win this game simply because I thought they could – move the ball on the Chargers defense, even though the Chargers defense had been pretty good against the pass. I I thought the corners, they they probably can move the ball. But I said at the time, and I would still say this, that they hadn't earned the right to have the benefit of the doubt. They had been in these situations at times and had lost on the road in games where they had every opportunity to win and they couldn't finish it. So what changed today, I, I think, and we've sort of buried the lead a little bit here, is they finally said, you know what? 
this doesn't have to be that hard. We have Justin Jefferson. We have Adam Thielen. Maybe we should get him the ball a little bit more. And that, I think, is – I mean, the, the defense played extremely well against that offense given the players they were missing. But the fact that they finally figured out how to get the ball to Justin Jefferson, despite the fact that teams are going to try to take him away, I think is a fairly significant development. And really going forward, if they're going to do anything – you're going to point to that, I think, is one of the big developments as to why. Yeah, even Mike Zimmer, Jim, had mentioned, I think, after the game that he thought he had this feeling of here we go again, kind of another close game. We've done this before, but the difference being, as Ben pointed out, that four minutes at the end of the game, the Vikings actually got to end it with the ball. Yeah, that's the thing is I give the defense a lot of credit for playing undermanned against a talented team and doing what they did. The offense, it's really kind of awkward to praise them. And Zimmer and Kubiak, because we're going – Oh, wow, you know, good game. They got the ball to Justin Jefferson. They ran the ball with Dalvin Cook. They threw the ball to Adam. I mean, these are things they should be doing every game. This shouldn't be some kind of week 10 revelation. Oh, maybe we should throw the ball to Justin Jefferson. He might Jefferson called it a us. big adjustment. Yeah, a big adjustment. Throwing to your best player and handing the ball to your best player. I mean, so I give them credit for doing it, but I also – give them a a dramatic lack of credit for waiting 10 weeks to actually have these thoughts. Yeah, game number nine, and they thought, yeah, boy, we should funnel it to our playmakers a little bit. I did enjoy Mike Zimmer, too, uh, chastising his first-year coordinator for daring to mention in the media we should probably get the ball to Justin Jefferson more. <laughs> yes, because Brandon Staley, whose stated philosophy on defense is to take away big plays in the passing game to the point where he says, we're going to go with a light box, and you can run the ball on us if you want to. We just don't want to get beat downfield if not for that I don't think he would have said you know what 18 19 we probably need to make sure those guys don't get the ball what I love too is that um Kubiak said it uh he put it out there in the world the ether we're, we're gonna get the ball to Justin Jefferson and then they went out and did it it didn't matter like what you, what <laughs> to your point Ben about how it wasn't gonna affect Brandon Staley's uh preparation in any way shape or form it also didn't affect the Vikings production because so, they were able to do it let me get this straight so what you're saying, if I'm understanding this correctly, is that what coaches and or players tell the media and vis-a-vis -vis the other team on a Thursday does not, in fact, mean anything about whether you win or lose a game on Sunday? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. It's as if Brandon was standing at home and then listening to Kubiak's or at the, the at the office, I should say, listening to Kubiak's press conference and smacking his forehead and saying, "Oh boy, I should. We should maybe game plan." I mean, that Justin. that flies in the face of years of considerable NFL wisdom uh, that has been spread around the league. So I'm going to have to sit with that one for a little bit. But you might be onto something there. What I want to talk about is, and I tried to get this question off to Kirk and not so many direct terms, but the premise of Mike Zimmer telling everybody in the building and TCO performance that are leading up to that game, we're going to be aggressive. we got to be aggressive. It's you know the three and five. got to win. Um, how much of that allows Kirk to go out there and think, you know what, I can play freely here. If I make a mistake, I'm not going to get – it's not going to be the worst thing in the world to my head coach if I throw an interception here because I am taking that chance. Um, that seemed to lift – this offense, just that that mentality as much as the actual play calls and the actual throw. Yeah, I mean, Zimmer after the game talked a lot about how he was trying to drive the point home to Cousins and even to Jefferson saying, don't worry, we're going to get you the ball. I need you to have a good week of practice for me and then we'll get you the ball. 
if he is trying to claim credit for that, I think you also have to acknowledge the reasons why this has been a problem. How many of them are because people are afraid to make a mistake or afraid to throw the ball too much or whatever? It's hard to quantify. I don't think we're going to ever have a, a perfect answer to that question unless we are in meetings, unless we know what people are honestly thinking. We're just not going to know those things. But if this has been a problem and you want credit for fixing it, you have to acknowledge the part you probably played in creating the problem in the first place. So, I mean, yeah, it worked today, um, and we'll see if it continues going forward. But, uh, yeah, we, we should look at the whole situation, I think, from a global perspective if we're going to praise them for getting it right today. Yeah, Jim, what did you think of, of just Kirk's aggressiveness and, I guess, the – assurance from the head coach that he can be aggressive i think you hit on it it's it's a very strange combination of personalities you have zimmer who really wants to win with the running game defense has really ever since he got to know kirk cousins in that first year or so really has wanted to take the responsibility away from cousins rookie offensive coordinator who is indebted to zimmer quarterback who has learned over the years here that the number one sin is turning the ball over. You have all that, and then all of a sudden, Zimmer going, let's be aggressive. I mean, which, again, it's belated. It's odd. It's the right It's the right approach. It's just the right approach from a guy who had been telling everybody that's wrong all along. So it's just – it's awkward. Uh, of course, Cousins should be targeting his wide receivers. Of course, he should be taking shots because in this day and age – if you take shots downfield to talent receivers, if they don't catch it, they're probably going to draw a penalty. Or at least the effort of throwing the ball deep is going to stretch the defense a little bit. We all know these things, and yet Zimmer's stubbornness, Kubiak's inexperience, Cousins' learned caution has kept them from doing those things. So Zimmer actually does have to go around telling people to be aggressive so they actually know he means it. Yeah, Zimmer went as far as to say in the postgame press conference that, you know, when we're facing second and 18, we can't do these five-yard checkdowns. Zimmer said that. It was third and 18 last week when they threw a two-yard pass to Conklin, by the way. And that that had to be the play that made everybody go, what the heck are we doing here? <laughs> and and they had to overcome penalties after penalties again. They had 10 penalties as a team, six on offense, four on defense. And then they had to overcome, I think Zimmer mentioned those first and 20s. They had to do that twice on that final drive just to close the game out. Yeah, it was funny because I think somebody asked after the game, I can't remember to which player. And, you know, players sort of, if you give them a premise, a lot of times they'll just kind of go with it. Um, but somebody said, what, what did you guys do better in the four-minute drill at the end? And I'm thinking, that four-minute drill probably should have blown up in their faces a couple of different times. It was first and 20. They convert that with a great Jefferson catch um, over to Vaughn Campbell that Brandon Staley tried to challenge that it held up. And then the very next play, they get penalized for a face mask on Luke Stocker and now it's first and 25, and they managed to convert that. It took till fourth down to do it. But that's not uh, – we're going to line up and run the ball for six yards on first down and just keep the chains moving, and you're not going to get it back. That was – they had to pull a couple of uh, escape acts to do that, but as we're talking about, the way that they pulled those off was by trusting their best players. The Jefferson one, contested catch. Adam Thielen had a, a big catch on third and 20 for 18 yards over the middle – 
and then they toss the ball to Dalvin Cook to go win the game, and that's probably the the most straightforward of the three moments there. But yeah, it your three best players touch the ball in the spots where you had to have plays, and lo and behold, it worked. And I think a big part of it too is Kirk um, having that internal clock in the pocket, not having it go off too quickly, right? I mean, there's so many yeah. times I think yeah. in the most recent game against Baltimore where, yeah, he didn't, I don't think he took a sack, but it was just check down, check down, get the ball out. There were times he was rolling out where there's nobody around him and he's checking it down even though Thielen's open downfield. Uh, when you're sitting there in those third and 18s or second and 18s or whatever and you know the pass rush is coming, that's when he seemed to check it down the quickest. And that wasn't the case this time. Kept his eyes downfield, wasn't flustered in the pocket, wasn't trying to get rid of it quickly, wasn't afraid of that strip sack fumble that we've seen before at the end that he seems to have been afraid of. So when all these fans and everybody talks about how all the team, how do the Vikings have the fewest sacks allowed and they have the most sacks forced and yet they're three and five, it's because of that lack of risk-taking that they did yeah. today. It was because of that lack of, of being in there and saying, you know what, we might take a sack here, we might turn it over, but we're going to, nine times out of ten, we hope we're going to either have an incompletion or a big play downfield or a DPI, as, as you see Rodgers or all these other quarterbacks draw um, downfield with these throws. And so I think we're finally seeing now them tow that line today. You saw them tow that line so much better. And I guess the question is, how sustainable is it in what is actually a tight playoff race in the NFC? They're nine games into the season. They got eight to go. And the Panthers at five and five have that seventh spot temporarily. But the Vikings at four and five are right behind them. And there are a ton of teams back there that... And with the tiebreaker on the Panthers. Yeah, and there's a ton of teams back there. That, Jim, there aren't a lot of teams that can say, you know what, they're the front runners for that spot. It seems to be wide open. And this is Pete Rozelle's dream and, you know, further enabled by Goodell wanting everybody being contention all year. Seven playoff spots. Uh, really, I mean, other than the Lions, everybody's theoretically in in a race for something. The Lions are 0-8-1 now. 0-8-1. Hey, not – Lions made up ground on some teams yeah, today. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and, and that's the fascinating thing here is that the, the seventh playoff seed means that the Vikings came into this key four-game stretch – you know, uh, four good teams, only really necessarily needing to win one game. Think about that. Four-game stretch. Oh, these are big game, big stretch. All you got to do is sneak out one victory, and you've survived because you have a, a bad San Francisco team coming up. You have the Lions coming up after that. You have two games with the Bears. We don't have, no, have any idea if they're any good or not. T.J. Watt got hurt today Yeah, with yeah the I mean, the Steelers are a mess. Uh, so, so, I mean, it's, it's sitting there for them to be – a sixth or seventh seed, if they're just average. The question is, are they good enough to be average long enough to get that playoff spot? Yeah, and I'll just add that the Packers seem to have lost Aaron Jones to a knee injury, at least for what will probably be next week, uh, at least, with the Vikings coming up and them going to U.S. Bank Stadium. So, Ben, I guess how sustainable is what we just saw from the Vikings today? Can can they carry any of this over, you would hope? Well, I, next week is going to be really interesting because – the Packers shut out the Seahawks today, and their defense, for once in their existence with Aaron Rodgers, looks like it's awfully good. Now, we have said that with the Packers before, where it looks like they finally figured things out on defense. They're still doing this without Zedaria Smith and Jair Alexander, which makes me think they're still ripe to be picked on by the right team. So if you have opportunities to test, I mean, if it's Kevin King and uh, who are the other corner would be? Rasul Douglas, I think, is the guy that made the pick against the, the Cardinals. Um, 
I, I would think there'd be opportunities there. So if the Vikings are similarly aggressive next week, I, I think you'd have chances. But I guess today they did it against DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So um, they're, they're doing it somehow. Their defense has played awfully well. It's just a little hard to look at the personnel and say that all of this adds up to the sum of the parts. I, I, I think it's a game that being at home, uh, even though it could be something of a bipartisan crowd, I think it's certainly winnable, It's uh, especially with no Aaron Jones. And I think one of the big things for the Vikings is going to be keeping Kirk clean long enough for him to feel comfortable, be taking those shots that we keep talking about, that when he is pressured, that's when you don't see those shots getting taken. And I'm trying to pull up here the exact stats on what Kirk took today in terms of hits. He still took six hits and two sacks today. Um, and we, we considered Herbert getting flustered by the pass rush. He took a similar amount of sacks and hits from the Vikings. And so if Kirk can do that and still push the ball downfield, if he can take a hit from Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, whatever the Packers throw at him, I think that's got to be the big key to sustaining this is Kirk himself not getting flustered or Clint for that matter, not getting flustered and thinking, you know what, now we got to get conservative again and try to win the game. Because really in this Chargers game, somehow the Chargers didn't go for it on fourth down. They were the conservative ones. I thought it was really strange because Brandon Staley has been really efficient on his fourth down calls. He's been successful on his fourth down calls. He's been praised by a lot of analytics people by doing it properly. And I thought he screwed up a lot today. I just thought he just blew it. I just thought, you know, and, and it maybe it didn't matter because the Vikings ended up holding the ball the rest of the way anyway. But there at the end, you're down, what, the two-yard line, something like that, fourth and goal from the two. I mean, and you kick the field goal. How do you know you're going to get back anywhere near that close when needing a touch? I, I thought that was a big mistake. I thought he made a couple of mistakes. Of course, I also thought Zimmer screwed up the clock management at the end of the first half. It just happened to not bite him. Yeah, they got away with that one there. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, Ben, at the very end there, you've got one of the most aggressive head coaches in terms of going for it, and it's fourth and two from the Vikings six. Yep. Like, you don't even need to get in the end zone. You just got to get two yards to get first and goal, and he kicks the field goal. Yeah, I mean, the, I suppose the thinking is we have to come away with points. Okay, but you're assuming that your chance to score a touchdown is going to be better than your chances of picking up two yards on a fourth down from the six. Like you said, you don't even have to get in the end zone there. So percentage-wise, you'd think if you're going to need a touchdown at some point, it's more low-hanging fruit in that spot. I mean, that would be why the the analytics would say, go for it, get the touchdown, come back, and get the field goal later because getting a field goal – at the end of games, we we see it all the time. Yeah, and Staley pushed off. He was asked afterward by reporters of, was that did, did the analytics call like, give you a strong go-for-it signal there? And, and he said no. He said it was more of a coin toss, and he decided to take the sure points, as you said, Ben. And he said our kicker was kicking well, which seems like a ridiculous thing to say on a 24-yard indoor field In goal. an indoor stadium <laughs> in Los Angeles. <laughs> to me, that seemed like something where he was just – uh, really worried about his offense like we've seen Mike Zimmer be in the past and thought, you know what, I'm going to punt it back and trust my defense, which at that which point. The weak part of the de- – uh, that made no sense. I, I like Brandon Staley as I wrote about in the Sunday paper. I think very highly of him, but he screwed up. Too. You know, the funny thing with that, very quickly here, and this may be a, a small tangent, but we hear so much when coaches don't go for it on fourth downs, the, the common response is, oh, because I'm going to get ripped for it. I'm either going to get ripped in the media or fans are going to be mad at me or whatever. I think as we all get a better understanding of the percentages on these things and the analytics that would say you should go for it, that fear, if that is the reason coaches aren't doing it, is kind of going away. You have a lot more fans saying go for it. You have a lot more reporters and columnists, I think, saying go for it. So 
the scapegoat is not there quite in the same way. And, and maybe it wasn't really a, a thing people worried about before. But if it was, that's going away, which then leaves, if you're not going for it, it may be because you aren't understanding the situation correctly. So easier to blame us, I get it. But um, that excuse is getting a little antiquated, I think, given the changes we've all seen and probably have participated in as we all learn a little bit more about the data. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big part of it. As, as the numbers become more available, you know, the fans, media get smarter about yep. it. We've yep. seen coaches. I've always wanted too. coaches to go forward on fourth down. I always thought, to, especially if you have a good offense, let your best players decide the game. Don't sit around waiting to get beat. Reminds me, though, Mike Zimmer was asked going into this game, I think it was Wednesday or Friday of this week, uh, entering uh, Sunday's win about going forward on fourth down. How, you know, how did it change? When did it change when people started going for it more? And he started talking about it and talking about that. And then somebody interjected and said, well, yeah, and it puts a lot of pressure on the defense too, right? You know, to have to have your, you know, be playing one more down and have to worry about that. And then Zimmer stopped him and goes, yeah, but it puts a lot of pressure too if you don't get it. And now your defense is on a short field. And it's like, <laughs> it just goes right back to that old line of thinking of like, you know, yeah, but there are consequences to risks. It's like, well, yes, we know that part. <laughs> right. So that's a risk. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll be back Wednesday previewing Vikings Packers Sunday at U.S. Bank Stadium where the Vikings could be getting back Harrison Smith, Patrick Peterson, uh, and that might be it, but it might be all they Maybe need. Maybe Anthony Barr, depending on how his knee is doing, I suppose. Maybe Michael. No, not Michael Pierce. He's on IR now. <laughs> yeah, so, but they could be getting two key pieces back of their secondary, and there'll be plenty to talk about in the first Vikings-Packers game of 2021. Uh, thanks for checking out the podcast. Please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>